interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Hello everyone, and hello humans. Welcome to Not A Robot's Marvel Comics Weekly Review Show. Today we've got Fantastic Four number 36, Gamma Flight number 4, Moon Knight number 3, X-Men Legends number 7, X-Corp number 5, Guardians of the Galaxy 18, making up our speed round, and on the soapbox we've got Death of Doctor Strange number 1, United States of Captain America number 4, X-Men number 3, and X-Men The Onslaught Revelations number 1. My name is Kirk, and I've got the power of one million exploding podcasters. <laughs> and I'm joined by our esteemed judges today. We've got Brandon. Uh, Brandon is my human name, but I'm thinking of taking on a mutant name. And Jessica. I'd happily be reincarnated on Krakoa if it meant Nightcrawler would finally talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> We're here to read, critique, and review Marvel's weekly releases without any interference from the publisher. If you like our show, you can find us on Twitter at NotArobotComics, and you can find me on Twitter at KirkHopko, and Jess is there at JessicaHopko. We answer show mail sent to NotArobotComics at gmail.com, and before we get going, I just want to say thank you to all our Patreon supporters. They help us out with a dollar or more a month, and thank you to all of our listeners, too. Like, download, and share our episodes, and we can get more listeners, and we can keep bringing you more of the content you love. You can get access to our Patreon and the rest of the amazing Not A Robot podcast shows at notarobotpodcast.com. All right, everyone, before we hit the comics real hard, is there anything in the news? I have not checked, like, any comics news all week, so I, I have nothing. The only thing that hit my dashboard, and this was very recently, was the new announcement of the Sabretooth number one coming in January. Oh, Nice. I'm excited to finally get some touch on him as uh, even in the announcement of the comic, they teased that he was the first to be exiled to the pit beneath Krakoa, and we haven't seen him since. He's one of a few mutants who just has been a complete no-show in the new age of mutants. Yeah, but it, it feels kind of like a spoiler. I mean, I guess now we know that he's, you know, coming back. It feels like that was meant to be a bigger reveal at, at you know, maybe an Inferno or something like that, but... Now it's kind of like, oh yeah, he's going to be back and in his own series. So, I don't know. I feel like they could have waited a little bit until we got to maybe when he's actually revealed to have escaped from the pit or however he gets out of the pit. Mm -hmm. I am curious if that's going to be a side effect of Inferno, which we're going to be seeing, I think, Inferno number one in a few weeks. Next week, I thought. Next week, actually. Yeah. Oh, man. it's. I know. It really, I, I didn't even realize it until, I think, like last week. I was like, oh, holy shit. This is coming up like really fast. Wow, it's here, man. Um, yeah. And the one thing I will note is the Sabretooth number one does not indicate that it is a five-part. It doesn't indicate that it's a mini. Um, which they might still announce it as a mini later. They've done that before. But mm. usually they they have slapped that right on the front of some of these other minis they've announced. So if it does well, we might get just a long-running Sabretooth series of all things. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't even think of if they've had a Sabretooth series before, but uh, that certainly would be interesting. I think the closest I can remember to a Sabretooth series would have been like, uh, what was it called? The Weapon X Force, or not, it wasn't X Force, it was, but it was Weapon X, um, it was him, Lady Deathstrike, Wolverine was there for a minute. And mm. Omega Red was on the team for a minute. It was a whole, like, 
cast oh, of man. really angry dudes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know, but it does sound interesting. Mm-hmm. I'll have to look it up and uh, pull the title up. Mm-hmm. But I don't think there's any other Marvel news. Nothing big has hit the radar in terms of um, Marvel movies. We've got, I think, Venom Let There Be Carnage coming out this month, Eternals the month after, and Spider-Man the month after that. So And Hawkeye. Uh, and there's a Hawkeye Disney Plus series in the middle there. But yeah, aside from maybe a second trailer dropping for one of those, I think they released a second trailer for Venom Let There Be Carnage recently. Mm. Uh, I just remember seeing the posters on Twitter the other day of... Um, Tom Hardy and then Woody Harrelson as like two side by side kind of posters and mm-hmm. they look cool I love Woody Harrelson and I, I'm not sure how I feel like I don't know anything of Carnage lore or history or anything like that so when I say I don't know how I feel about him being a serial killer <laughs> that's all I mean <laughs> is that like most of the Woody Harrelson that I really like is the funny stuff and obviously there will be room for humor when he's a serial killer but it just feels super dark and I'm like I don't even know that I really want that coming back to touch Tom Holland and make him like R-rated or anything for a movie or cameo or anything like that but it'll be interesting well, I feel like I, f- I feel like Cletus Cassidy is kind of a, a serial killer with a sense of humor or at least that's generally how he's portrayed uh, correct me if I'm wrong Kurt uh, sense of humor is one way to describe it he laughs yeah well, i mean i just i remember you know reading like absolute carnage or they did that carnage series with um mike perkins and jerry conway and he was like i mean he wasn't cracking jokes every minute but he certainly seemed to like take joy in the fact that he could just inflict so much pain like he he wasn't more of like a, an angsty brooding brooding serial killer he, he seemed to enjoy just yeah, just destroying people's lives, you know, as you do. Yeah, he was having any... a good time on the page for what that yeah. counts for. Yeah. Um, oh, Jess, you're talking about... Sorry, Jess just handed me a note. I guess there is uh, a minor thing in the news about um, some of the, uh, the Ditko Kirby heirs are suing Disney for uh, rights... Copyright right or no, sorry, Disney's suing them because they filed a copyright claim over several Marvel characters, including Spider Man, Doctor Strange. Um, oh, Falcon. here we go again. <laughs> um, oh God! And Disney, if you if if you wanted to write a book literally about the creators' estates, because this is generally after their um, after they've passed away, if you wanted to write a book about the creators' estates suing companies, and then those companies in turn suing them back it would be over a thousand pages Uh, Mm -hmm. it's a long messy history yeah and unfortunately like the way this goes it's it's all muddy and it's pretty complicated but um disney has unfortunately a lot of legal precedent that um the courts have ruled on the side of the comic book companies numerous times in the past that this was work for hire Ditko was paid for creating the characters he created. Kirby was created for the characters he created. Um, All of them were paid, so therefore no further rights are owed. Doesn't matter how big the industry has become. 
there's a lot of legal siding on Disney's side that says you're only here because it's a massive success. You didn't come in 2001 when comics were dying. You're only here because of the movies, mm-hmm. which indicates like that it's not really. They're in it for the money. Yeah. At that point, if they really cared about the legacy, as soon as those rights were given up, they would have been fighting tooth and nail. Which is, I I find I mean I, I, as as a as a comic book fan, as a comic book stan, as someone who's a, a fierce defender of creators' rights, I'll never buy that argument because it's it's ridiculous and inane, and more often than not, you have. A lot of these creators, especially during the earlier days, signing contracts where they could not have any kind of legal representation actually looking over it. And mm-hmm. it was more of like, a, you don't sign now, you don't get any royalties. But if you do sign now, there's a chance that we'll give you a decent payout within a couple of years. And then, you know, we'll see what happens from there. But obviously, they're going in with the expectation that, okay, I'll get my payout now. And I mean, there's no way that anyone's ever going to make a you know, a, a media adaptation of this kind of stuff and then flash forward 40 years and there's about 60 blockbuster superhero movies and you're like, how the hell did that happen? But, um, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's a messy business and it never looks good when they have to get into these bitter and gross lawsuits with, uh, with especially with the families because uh, I imagine a lot of this is probably just about renegotiating rights, um, in, in contracts and certain stuff because in, in a lot of cases I think with some of these contracts it's arranged that the estate receives a certain amount of the actual royalties from these properties and I mean if I had to guess because I don't know what the actual contract is but if I had to guess probably getting pennies off of what they actually deserve um, from their you know their late family's actual hard work but who knows mm-hmm yeah, it's and the other thing for me is like and I do I sympathize for the artists and I sympathize that a lot of these artists and creators were not properly treated 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago. Um it was a new industry and things like that were they were learning and there was always exploitative people involved. Um but like it's it's so complicated because in in broad speaking terms, it's hard for me to say that, like, the the Ditko family deserves a, a much larger percent when their estate is already still worth millions of dollars already versus Ooh. any of the writers who worked on Spider-Man or these characters in the 90s. They didn't create them. They're just the people that made the character matter to me. Like, yes, Ditko and Kirby and all these guys were the creators, but giving them more of a stake than the people who made new comic fans in 1997 and 2003 and all of those writers, they don't get any more credit from these types yeah. of lawsuits. And that's where it kind of falls apart for me is we get, we get people related to people who made something drumming up lawsuits rather than fixing the industry, the treatment of 40 years of other comic book creators. Yeah, well, I mean, there's definitely an, well, yeah, that that, is, that in and of itself of actually fixing, I mean, especially in work for hire stuff, fixing contracts is a, is a whole other can of worms that you can get into because more often than not, the reason people sign work for hire contracts is because it is so hard to be a freelance writer and sustain an income where it's like, okay, 
I could do this and you know do a bunch of creator own books and make a marginal if very little profit off of those books and maybe do a couple of freelance books for larger publishers but on the alternative I could sign the contract I get a fixed page rate you know there's a chance that I do this but there's always the um, there's always the chance that anything that I create for them I won't actually own right and and uh, that's kind of the tragedy of any kind of serious work for hire stuff it's like whatever you end up doing for them you can't walk away with it you kind of just have to leave it there and however much profit later becomes of that you may get some royalties off of it but again that's where the actual work for hire contract comes into play because more often than not you look at you know whatever clause of that contract includes royalties and and promotional stuff and it's probably like i, I don't know could be anywhere from like you will get you know five to ten to fifteen percent of whatever potential sales uh come out of the you know future um um uh media properties or, or whatever and and then you look up and it's like this film made you know 875 million dollars and and uh um you're getting five percent of that and it's like oh jesus christ what happened here um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, I feel like I'm going off on a tangent here, but no, yeah, it's, it's, long, long story, long story short. I feel like most of the whole work for hire gigs that, um, a lot of the larger publishers are, are offering right now need to be revised and, and, um, and, and properly negotiated with the actual creators instead of you know, hiring a number of people that are only going to end up suing you 20 to 25 years down the line or whatever the case may be. Oh, I 100% would agree with that. My, I guess maybe it was the article I read. It felt like they were only suing for the ones that were in the movies. You know what mm. I mean? Like, so it felt very much like, oh, we're entitled to movies. And I agree with you that they didn't have the full scope when they did the original contracts of what these could end up being. But my thing is that, like, I knew, like, injustices that happened to my grandpa when I was, like, eight. So, like, as soon as I was, like, any kind of, I can help you fight this grandpa, I would have been, like, tooth and nail on it. It just feels like at this point, like, especially they pointed out, like, Black Widow, that it was only once Black Widow had a movie that they're really caring about hers. Yeah, the timing of it is definitely not Yeah, and I think there's something to say, too, that it's obviously not all, like, heirs and children of famous people but it feels like there's specific heirs where they wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't making money yeah no one, that's that's my only thing no one's out here suing for the rights of stilt man yeah no no i'm sure yeah i'm sure um i'm sure bill man well actually that's a, another tragic story but uh I, i'm sure the people involved with the creation of stilt man are not <laughs> rushing to get their royalties <laughs> all right uh, well, we'll, uh, we'll put that argument up on the, the shelf. Argument is the wrong word because we're all on the same side. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We'll put that discussion up on the shelf until next time because there will always be more to say about the, the rights and privileges of the people who work hard to make the comics we're reading possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, we'll always have ways to circle back to that. But let's, uh, let's talk some of the comic books that we got to read this week. Let's, let's dive into our speed round. I'm going to hand it over to Jess for uh, covering Fantastic Four issue 36. So this picks up after Dr. Doom's doomed wedding. Um, so Johnny Storm's dealing with his curse. 
affliction? I don't know what, what to call it. <coughs> that Doom's placed upon him, where he's constantly growing hotter and hotter, um, unable to eat, drink, and slowly setting everything on fire. Um, so the rest of the Fantastic Four are trying to help him with that. Um, we cut to Ben's wife and kids, adopted kids, <laughs> and everyone can kind of see that, like, the Fantastic Four building is, like, pulsating with heat. Um, so Reed calls in Sky for help, even though Johnny screams, no, don't do it! Um, but they are able to separate their bond because his affliction has been causing Sky harm. Um, and so she's able to leave and go back to her people in peace kind of thing after serving him a real, you're a jerk <laughs> sandwich. Um, I like this one again, surprisingly, like I haven't enjoyed the Fantastic Four movies and maybe that's because they haven't focused on Ben Grimm. So now that they're doing that <laughs> for last week's um, decades and this week's Fantastic Four, I'm digging it. Like the fact that Ben is like helping Johnny get through the fact that he can't turn this off. He's a monster 24 seven. Ben's like been there. Like mm-hmm. he's very much speaking from experience. Um, and yeah, same with Sky. like her being able to be like, you're a jerk. You shouldn't have done this. You're I'm, I, I'm just going home <laughs> here for it. Also a Lunella cameo. So had to be happy. I was eight out of 10. Definitely would read the next one. Awesome. Yeah. I actually really enjoyed this issue and, um, I, I swear, like, I'm, I'm going to earn a reputation as not the just Fantastic Four hater out here. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I thought this was a really good issue. I thought the dialogues between um, all the characters involved were were really good. Every there was a lot of um, a, a lot of really nice like human interactions in in this family and in these in the groups of people. Um, just like the subtle things, like Johnny like struggling to eat and losing his temper there and just like the the heart-wrenching pieces with sky um with them breaking their bond and finding out that she felt johnny violate his word to her like that it's all very like heart-wrenching and there's a lot of hurt there that i could feel and even just like the the piece that reed says where you know where the uh where ben mentions that Man, he hasn't even cried once. And Reed says he he can't. He literally can't. Moisture can't escape his his eyeballs right now. Yeah, and it's just it's rough. It's a it's a it was an emotional issue. And for one that didn't ha- feature much in the way of action, it was a good transitional issue. Sometimes those are a little bit of a snooze. And this one really wasn't. I gave it an eight point two five out of ten. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I you know I'm I'm definitely this the the group sucker for the fantastic four so i've I've been enjoying this arc lately um i'm still not loving the franklin richards angst that has been going on for like the past 30 i know he's a teenager but like my god every time franklin shows up he's just like a bad attitude i don't want to be here i hate that i can't deal with anything my powers are almost gone it's like oh my god enough it, it almost makes me wonder if we were all that annoying when we were teenagers but jesus um but yeah it was just like oh my god franklin enough i get it your life is the most tragic thing meanwhile your uncle johnny is on fire i feel like you have bigger problems to deal with right now um but yeah other than that i thought it was pretty solid i mean the whole sky thing was a little complicated just because 
Johnny didn't really have a choice in the whole matter. He was kind of forced into the engagement, and it seemed like they were trying to get to a point where Johnny was sort of accepting it, but the whole thing was sort of weird to start. So even though this relationship has ended, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know that I can feel like too... I feel bad for Skye, because it sounds like she was really, really cared for Johnny, but, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I feel like Johnny, at least, should feel sadness obviously because of this person who really cared for him but i mean this was kind of something that you were forced into like there should be a little bit of freedom to it i don't know um other than that i i, I would say i enjoyed this issue i mean it's uh just uh just a really solid development in the fantastic four saga right now so I, i'm i'm digging it i gave it a, an eight out of ten awesome well, moving on from the first family, let's go over to Gamma Flight, a rather new family. Uh, Gamma Flight number four, I'll pass it over to Brandon. Sure, my pleasure. Um, so this is, of course, Al Ewing and Crystal Frazier with art from Lan Medina, colors from Antonio Fabela, and letters from Joe Sabino. Um, this issue starts its focus by giving us a little bit of a recap on the character... Um, God, I, I'm blanking on her name right now, but... Um, Stockpile. Um, Stockpile, yes, that was her name. Stockpile, who is revealed to be um, Dion Fortean, the daughter of General Fortean, who was leading Shadowbase earlier in the um, Immortal Hulk run, and it kind of establishes that they had had a bit of a tenuous relationship initially, as uh, Fortean had developed some new powers, but... <clears throat> it seems that Stockpile's new allyship with Gamma Flight has is, is definitely helped out. And, I mean, um, it, it really is just kind of dealing more with, um, you know, some of the stuff that um, had been coming up for the story so far. We get to see more of the development with Abomination and, and everything else and, and get a little bit more answers as to what exactly was going on and, and how they were testing the Gamma Mutates and everything. And... Um, there's a bit of a, a big kind of climactic explosion towards the end with more of Gamma Flight, which considering that they like just got out of that weird dimension where they were transported to, it feels like they're just there's never ending trouble for Gamma Flight and, and it just like can't catch a break, which I guess is fitting for them considering all the crap they had to deal with uh, with a Hulk, but I was just like, geez, like Give them a break, my God! They get transported here. Finally, have some some time to like sit down and, and decompress, and then immediately are. Well, I won't spoil exactly what happened, but it seems like a couple members of Gamma Flight may or may not have been taken off the board. But in any case, um, this has been a, a really fun series. I mean, I, I can't say that it's instrumental, but um, I remember when Kirk and I were first covering this, and we we're kind of just like, yeah, it's it's you know, it's fun. It's it's a, a fun book with. Um, the Gamma Flight characters from Immortal Hulk just kind of on their own adventures and um, uh, kind of a fun way to tie into some of the other mythology with um, Abomination and everything. So, um, oh my God, I keep saying Abomination. Sorry, I mean Scar. Uh, all the Hulk-like derivatives just kind of blur in my head sometimes. Abomination is um, part of this as well, though. Yeah, yeah. Rick Jones and um, Del Fry, they're like in the... the used thing right now they just look terrible but oh sorry i'm um, talking about blonsky he's in this too oh right 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 yeah of course i, I forgot that for a second um but yes yeah the other abomination um <laughs> not rick jones abomination um but yeah no it was just a, a really solid issue i'd say and um 
dig the art, dig the story. I, I had a lot of fun, so I actually gave this one an 8.25 out of 10. Awesome. Yeah, I enjoyed my time with Gamma Flight. It was a, it was a good action issue with some more, like you said, more coverage on Stockpile and a neat little cliffhanger. And I do love some of the, that we might actually get a bit more time on Scar. That's since the cliffhanger at the end of issue one, I've been hoping for a bit more spotlight on what Scar has been going through. Mm. Um, and, and they tease it like she mentions, I didn't have a great father, but I could have had a worse one. I could have had Bruce Banner. Yeah. which is really indicative of the type of stuff Scar is experiencing. Um, he's he's had a rough one. Uh, but no, I enjoyed this issue. I gave it a 7.5 out of 10. Nice. I didn't get a chance to read it. I'm sorry, Dr. McGowan. Uh, well, the, the good thing is this is like the penultimate issue, so this miniseries will be wrapping up, you know, next month and... Uh, I definitely recommend checking out the series in full um, if you don't get a chance to read the next one. It's 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 been a fun ride. Mm-hmm. And honestly, weirdly enough, Absorbing Man and Titania's relationship growing <laughs> across the arc of this comic has been really really fun. Is that like the Titania from She-Hulk? Yes. Oh. Mm, yeah, and and Carl Creel, the Absorbing Man, and and Kirk's right. They they have like this. Despite being criminals, they have an incredibly wholesome relationship where they really care about each other. Like, obviously, they're doing crazy shit to other... Well, they were when they were villains, but, like, they, they actually really care about each other. It's it's almost sweet in a twisted way. Mm-hmm. And it's super adorable seeing that of all the people you'd expect, Carl Crusher Creel being Little Spooned. Uh, by Titania is just so funny. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Titania is definitely wearing the pants in the relationship. Like, let's let's be real about this. Oh, 100%. But yeah, I just didn't recognize, like, any of them. It did have one of those, like, splash pages where it did show a bunch of character, um, like, profiles, like, where it showed their picture and then said their name. But then it was immediately, like, describing two people that I didn't recognize from the splash page. So I was like, I, who? What? <laughs> How? Huh? So it was just really hard, and I was, I was really this week because I also had to work a lot, um, focusing on the ones that I immediately got into. So there's quite a few that I didn't get into, but that's just lack of time. Mm-hmm. I will say that this, that you're right, that splash page really only covers the people who've been in Gamma Flight since issue one. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't do anything to clarify who Stockpile is that we've been dealing with Scar for three issues and that yeah. Blonsky's been behind all this, they actually really didn't touch on any of that. Mm-hmm. They did in the like description like summary, but I didn't know which picture was stockpile or anything like that. So the first couple pages, I was like, eh. Like, it was much easier for me this week to try, and if I couldn't in the first couple pages, just move on to other ones because there were a lot this week. And I also felt like some pretty substantial ones, which obviously we'll talk about later. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, no, I, de- I definitely. Oh, sorry. No, go, go ahead. ahead. Yeah, no, I, I just I was going back to that that page in particular that you mentioned that it kind of features the lineup, and I, I like I, I skipped over it, so I didn't even see. It, but I, I realized that yeah, it doesn't have any kind of description. So like, if you don't have any context for you know Doctor Charlie McGowan or the Rick Jones Del Fry hybrid or um, you know Eugene Judd, aka Puck, you're gonna be like, what the hell is that? <laughs> So I I, to, I totally get it. Mm-hmm. All right, popping over to Moon Knight number three. 
this one comes to us with uh, writing by Jed McKay, art by Alessandro Capuccio, color by Rochelle Rosenberg, and lettering by Corey Petit. And uh, this issue continues the arc of the second fist of Khonshu, uh, a.k.a. Hunter's Moon, uh, staging his own small battle to awaken Mark Spector to his real purpose, that he's being derelict as the Moon Knight. He is not serving his full purpose as the Avatar of Khonshu. And most of this book is them talking to each other and beating the shit out of each other. Um, My favorite part of this book, though, is (coughs) they have some really awesome conversations about the purpose of the Moon Knight. Um, And specifically, we get a bit more, and this goes back to a famous Taskmaster versus Moon Knight fight. We get a bit more of another person commenting on the way Moon Knight fights. We get Hunter's Moon just dunking on mark specter for saying like there's no elegance in the way you fight didn't yeah he really he really seems to chide him on the fact that he's basically just like you have no skills like he said he he says you fight like an animal like you have no precision you should be trained and refined mm-hmm. and we get the the revelation that Kanshu downloaded the memories of the previous fists of Kanshu into uh hunter's moon and was supposed to have done it to his moon knight but didn't and so they they get a fight and they get some really cool highlighting pieces and you know there's a famous taskmaster moment where taskmaster describes moon knight's fighting style as you never found a punch you didn't want to take to the face (laughs) and then moon knight didn't want to take them to his face or moon knight gives really good punches no moon knight gets punched in the face a lot because he doesn't dodge he literally just fights like an animal Mm. and through sheer force of i'm going to survive whatever you hit me with i'm just going to punch you harder after (laughs) so taskmaster literally like lectures him on i could have gone my entire life without learning your fighting style like And so we just get more people roasting Moon Knight's really uh, obscure way of beating the crap out of people, which I like. And honestly, that's, there's nothing more to this issue aside from Moon Knight using a freaking baseball bat and just taking <laughs> street justice to the back of Hunter Moon's Hunter's Moon's head. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, I actually really enjoyed this issue. Uh, the conversation between this new character and Moon Knight is really cool. Um, and I think it it would be neat to tease, like, I like Khonshu being involved in Moon Knight's stories again. There was a whole era of my life where Khonshu was an imaginary friend of Mark Spector, <laughs> and he didn't have any powers whatsoever. And I like that we're going back the opposite direction, because I like Moon Knight, and I like when it goes a bit more supernatural, and I like when there's that element to his character. But Moon Knight gets to be a badass in this book, and I really enjoyed it, so I gave it an 8 out of 10. Nice. Yeah, no, I, I dug I dug the hell out of this one too and and uh, um this is going to sound weird but I honestly forgot that there was a second issue. I don't know if I read it. Um so I like I was kind of I was a little thrown off at first. I was like, "Wait a minute. What all all I remembered from the last one was like the big reveal of the Hunter's Moon or whatever it was." Um and I was just like, wait, when did we get to issue three? Where was issue two? Did that even come out? Or am I going insane? Um, but no, it was really cool. And it, it was um, surprising to see how uh, interesting the fight 
between the Hunter's Moon and Moon Knight actually was. Because sometimes I feel like these fights can just kind of drag on endlessly and, and it just gets monotonous and, and boring. But, um, I mean, this one really felt like a both a battle of skill and a battle of, of the minds a little bit where um, uh, Mark really has to kind of outthink uh, the Hunter's Moon and eventually does. And, and um, I guess is... I mean, seems like the resolution of this is, is going to be that he's going to have some kind of um, feud with Khonshu going on now that he defeated his new acolyte and uh, it's kind of saying, like, don't ever come back here again. So I guess we'll see what happens next. But I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually really digging the, the story and then what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been... So I, I give it... Oh, sorry. No, go, go ahead. ahead. I, I just... Yeah, I was going to say I gave it an, an eight, uh, 8 out of 10. Awesome, yeah. And there was a minor thing in here that's hinting that it's that the uh, things affecting Mark Spector's life and the things attacking him are not all Hunter's Moon's fault. There is another conspiracy against him that maybe he'll need the help of Hunter's Moon mm-hmm. to help solve. That would be a fun little team up. All right. I'm going to pass it over now to Jess to cover X-Men Legends number seven, brought to us by writer Larry Hama, artist Billy Tan, Color by Chris Sotomayor, Sotomayor and uh, lettering by Joe Caramagna. So Jubilee and Wolverine are um, tracking a lead and they end up fighting um, Yakuza, I think. And uh, they finish and Yukio shows up and gets them out before the cops show up. Um, they're at a ramen shop talking about their next steps. And they end up at an aquarium where <laughs> they're gonna um, intercept their. Um, sorry, they're gonna intercept where they've kidnapped these two orphan girls who are mutants. Um, and so, the villains who are doing the kidnapping are Lady Deathstrike, and I'm not really sure who the lady in charge is. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't remember the name. Um, and so they fight, uh, Julie gets taken hostage, one of the girls is taken on a freighter, but the other girl has escaped and is helping Wolverine go save her sister and Jubilee. So I was kind of confused in that I didn't know all the characters, um, but I was interested to be like, where is this going next? And also, Jubilee lighting two dudes' crotches on fire was great. <laughs> um, yeah, I just... I don't know, I was in it for a while, but then the very end, I didn't like that Jubilee was made into kind of like a damsel in distress, <coughs> but on the other end of that spectrum, I liked the sister orphans' dynamics and their scheming powers, like we don't have full context on what exactly they do, um, and I think that if they are able to branch out and be full-fledged characters in other X-Men comics, on Krakoa in multiple stories I think that'll be really cool so if this is their introduction I'm into it um but yeah I don't really know many X-Men like sisters aside from like Emma Frost's kids but they're kind of all like clones of each other aren't they (laughs) um so yeah I gave it like a 6 out of 10 like I probably will pick up the next one because I am interested enough it just didn't really hit the right notes for me throughout for me to be like oh yeah like and super eager for the next one it just felt kind of 
mediocre, I guess, or, or kind of, like, expected, like, oh no, the fight's not going well. And I just assumed they were going to get away with one of the kids, but then they kidnapped Jubilee as a trophy, I guess? Oh yeah, I guess they're going to try and sell her too, but yeah. Oh. What'd you guys think? Yeah, I, um, I found this book continued X-Men Legends trend of being vaguely interesting one or two shot stories from random eras of X-Men history. <laughs> oh. Um... I believe this is part pretty much i believe this is part one of this part of x-men legends it'll be continued in part two in the x-men legends number eight, eight. um but like the first one was a one-off then they did a two-parter then they did a one-off and oh. um i don't know I, they're they they've all been serviceable if you're gonna pick up x-men legends just to to read a highlight reel of them of an x-factor comic and them fighting apocalypse for a minute and them rescuing jubilee from lady deathstrike it'll be fine you'll be good yeah uh you'll get obscure references to cyclops's other brother and fun stuff like that but honestly this series is it's just fine i gave it a 6.5 this issue was okay but it doesn't really contribute to or there's no sense that it's going to contribute to the x-men canon in a big way Mm. because each one of these have been so disjointed and there's seemingly no connection between them or the current age of comics they didn't they didn't grab for x-men number one an obscure era from 20 years ago pick a character and then introduce that character three months later in an x-men comic they just said hey remember this moving on put him back on the shelf at least so far maybe maybe they're playing the long game with him maybe they want us to remember him now so next year they can do something but it's just so far there's been no payoff it's just been Cyclops has another brother, and let's fight Apocalypse, and let's rescue Jubilee, X-Factor. and X-Factor on Christmas. Ugh, that's frustrating. Yeah. Um, so I gave it a 6.5. Well, yeah, it just, yeah. Brandon, go ahead. <laughs> I, I did not actually get a chance to read this one, uh, but, I mean, this whole series just feels like kind of a nostalgia fest of, remember this era of the x-men when they were like this read a story and it'll make you feel like you're in 1995 again and Mm. i don't know that's like that's all well and good i think it can certainly lend itself to maybe some interesting retro stories but um uh, i had not been like in love with a lot of the stuff that had been coming out so i I, I don't really have a strong desire to read this one, if I'm being entirely honest. I mean, the X-Factor one was fine. Uh, the first two-parter with, um, yeah, with Adam X and the <laughs> revelation that he's a secret Summer's brother. Like, who cares? He doesn't even remember it by the end of that arc, so it's just, like, it's entirely pointless. But whatever. Like, I guess some people are buying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... Um... Jess did challenge me with that question when she asked if there were any famous X-Men or mutant sisters, pair of siblings who were both female. And outside of the Cuckoos, I couldn't think of... Wait, they're called the Cuckoos? Yes, the Stepford Cuckoos. What? I don't know where the Stepford comes from. But... Stepford is probably a uh, reference to like Stepford. Stepford oh yeah, I, fi- I figured. I just, yeah, I didn't know why Emma was like, oh, my clones, I'm going to call them the Stepford Cuckoos for some reason. Probably because they're kind of perfected. Mm-hmm. I guess so. Um, so, but outside of the Stepford Cuckoos, I couldn't really think of any iconic mutant pair of sisters. 
Um, Brandon, I don't know if you can think of any famous mutant sisters, but also to our audience, please write in if there's something obvious that I'm missing. But I've been combing through, I can think of a lot of brother sisters, Mm -hmm. like Aurora and North Star. Yeah. uh, But I cannot think Um... of any two women who have the same parents. <laughs> no, no, there have to be. I mean, in Marvel, I, I there is. Think. Like, if you think of Gamora and Nebula, there's that relationship, even though they don't have the same. And they're parents. adopted. Like, yeah. we're not even getting close. But, 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 and then I guess too with Natasha and Yelena, they're also adopted. So there's no, yeah. Just... Well, I know Paige Guthrie Husk of the Guthrie family has a sister, <laughs> but I don't know that they're entirely famous. Okay. Um, oh man. Um, like I do understand that it's written for little boys and most boys don't really care about two sisters and their struggles or their relationship but I think it would be nice to have more not just women but different types of female relationships represented in comics were you were you saying mutant sisters or just sisters as a whole my original question was mutant sisters because then the only other sisters we could think of were they're both super powered is adopted <laughs> with the I get uh, I I guess if you really want to stretch you could say um X23 and Scout but mm. Scout is technically yeah it's like Scout is technically a clone of Laura who in turn is a clone of Wolverine so it's Ugh. like I don't know I mean <laughs> they treat it as though they're sisters but yeah. I mean if you had a younger version of yourself living with you would you really call that your you know sister or brother Right and like, I mean, and their their family tree is so messed up because of all the clones. Like, there's a panel where Scout, back when she was Honey Badger, explaining, I believe, to Old Man Logan how they're related. <laughs> it's just like this is confusing. And she's like, "You're my alternate timeline oh great grandfather clone parent brother." Oh <laughs> my head! That sounds like some <laughs> southern type of. Anyway. Um. Yeah. So, but write in if you can think Damn, of any no, more famous stump me all sisters. Day. I'm or... sorry. I think of some. <laughs> oh, <laughs> There's got to be at least one. I mean, like that. I'm me... just. And yeah. Well, and I'm also. Well, I mean, sure. the only ones that I can think of right now are clones. Yeah. Like, there's Madeline Pryor and Jean Grey. Both clones. Yeah. <laughs> They're both clones. Wait. There's 600 Summers kids. Does Hope have a sister? I don't think so. <laughs> Wait. How are Ruby Summers well, Hope, and Hope Summers not related? <laughs> well, Hope has technically never been confirmed to be a child of Summers. Hope was adopted by, by Cable, cable. Um, but was just kind of co-opted into the Summers family because she was raised by Cable. And who's Ruby Summers related to? I don't know. <laughs> okay, um, before we go down the whole family tree of every Marvel character, we can move on. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Damn it, but I gotta think about it now. Oh, man. All right, well, you can think of that one while I, I, uh, I'll i swing over to X Corp real quick because I don't have a lot to say on this issue. X Corp number five brought to us by Tiny Howard on writing, Alberto Foch on art, Sunny Go on color, and Clayton Cowles on letter. Uh, this book continues X Corp's saga of becoming a multinational geocommunications telecom industry. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, super interesting, I know. Uh, <laughs> and it's them dealing with regular corporate espionage, such as uh, the Von Strucker mutant twins coming to blow up their floating lab, which just happens with telecom industries all the time. Of course. 
Um, the Von Strucker twins come forward and there's a bit of interesting conversation about they them juggling their status as mutants, but also their status as self-serving righteous assholes. Um, that they really just... They, they're cool with the fact that they're mutants, that they'll be resurrected on Krakoa eventually, uh, so that death doesn't really bother them, but they don't really care about furthering Krakoa's needs. They really just want to make some money selling technology to the highest bidder yeah. and being dicks about it. Uh, we get a cool moment from Trinary and a cool moment from Mastermind and a cool moment from Jamie Madrox forming a wall of blast resistance against an exploding nuclear core because force makes Jamie Madrox make duplicates. So he assembled a wall of duplicates so that the force would hit a duplicate, create a duplicate, and hit a duplicate, and create a duplicate, and cushion out a massive blow with thousands of duplicates creating recursive duplicates. I want multiple, man. I love it. It's so cool. But the rest of the issue, it's honestly a pretty forgettable issue. It's just them fighting the Strucker twins in one place, and then it jumps around a lot to different places on the base with different parts of them. Pendants and Angel uh, kick up their usual <laughs> witty workroom banter, which is weird. It's so mm-hmm. I don't know. This is a X Corp is a weird comic. I I don't hate it, but it I gave this one a seven out of ten. But I put a big question mark in my notes because it's a fine issue. It's wrapping up some fighting. The dialogue's fine. There's some cool moments, but it just feels weird, and I'm not hundred percent on board with why I'm reading it. Well, it's over now, so you never have to read it again if you don't want to. They closed this one at five issues? Yeah, that was apparently a miniseries. Oh, I didn't know. Okay, so I definitely don't know why I was reading it. I didn't even pay attention that this was the end. (laughs) Yep, that's why they had the big old The End (laughs) after issue 24, or after page 24. I guess I should feel bad, but I wasn't really loving the series. Oh, bottom right corner, The End. Yep. Teeny tiny little. Well, and then there's that whole like memo or letter about the uh, council or the board of X-Corps now. Mm. Yeah, they they're changing up the board. I, I gave it a seven out of ten. The series has been fine, but it doesn't go anywhere madly interesting. It really just it really cements the whole idea that certain parts of the X uh, the X desk have been showing us over the past year. Is that the X Men or the the mutants, Krakoa? They're just surrounded by assholes. <laughs> Everything is always tying back into Orcus or other companies who just don't want Krakoa to succeed. And it's uh, how they overcome it. How they overcome it, but pretty much this one ends with one of the people that they helped uh, and maybe got a change of heart on mid issue. By the end of the issue, she's being recruited by Orcus, mm-hmm. ah. which is bad. Because Orcus wants to create the Nimrod, which will kill all mutant kind. Fun, fun. And that's X-Corp. Yeah. Um, Alright, I will pass it over to Brandon for Guardians of the Galaxy 18. Uh, my pleasure. Another series that is coming to its unfortunate end. Although I would say I'm probably more broken up about this one ending than X-Corp. Um, <laughs> but... This is the big, loud, crazy finale to The Last Annihilation, the big crossover that's been spanning the title for the past three issues, which is actually pretty small compared to most crossovers. But <clears throat> Basically, 
the gist of it revolves around Doom making certain machinations to uh, hopefully put himself in the right position to both um, take some of the power away from Dormammu while also um, allowing Rocket and others to put themselves in position to actually take down Dormammu using, well, if it's Rocket, you can probably guess what it is, but it's a giant <laughs> fucking gun, uh, which I thought was so cool because they strap Nova to one of the bullets inside the actual gun, making <laughs> Nova quite literally a a living rocket. I, that's like <laughs> his, his nickname, but now in this case, he really is a living rocket and fire him directly towards Dormammu, in effect, killing his host body, but um, I mean, I don't know if he's exactly dead. They say that there, there may be some remains living amongst the rubble, but um, you know, for my money, I'm guessing that the, the essence of Dormammu probably isn't dead. It's just the host body that he's been possessing with ego and everything is dead, which I guess probably means that ego is dead. I mean, it doesn't seem like he's coming back from that. It's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. They they say that he might also be alive too, but uh, I, I don't think Ego can really come back from that, especially if he's supposed to be a living planet, unless he can somehow figure out how to use his consciousness to terraform another planet. But um, all's well that ends well. Everyone reports to Gosnells for a drink, and they all celebrate together and finally feel like they can uh, have some peace, totally oblivious to the fact that Doom has been orchestrating this entire thing in the background with Sister Talionis and has been using this whole cult thing as an excuse to uh, amass some power, which he will be using at what he calls a moment of reckoning. Um, so yeah, looks like some stuff will be building in the background, but for now, our, our tales with the Guardians will be ending. Um, I mean, it's kind of weird because, well, I'm sad to see this book go. I'm satisfied with the conclusion. Like I, I feel mm-hmm. like I got a complete story, and it was good and enjoyable, so... I mean, even if the book was canceled before they could do a little bit more, I don't feel like I got cheated out of any kind of story. So, I mean, I'm actually kind of content with it. So I gave it an 8.5. It had good art, a good story. It was a a good wrap-up, and it actually kind of made me realize that I guess this entire story has really just been about, um, in a way, I mean, obviously it's had the rest of the Guardians, but it feels like the story really has been about Nova learning how to just, like, deal with his problems so that he's not overworked and depressed all the time. Because that's been like a recurring theme where it's just like, I have to do it all myself. It's all up to me. I can't have a moment to rest. And he tries going to therapy and it works a little bit. But now it feels like that everything is kind of, you know, at peace for a little bit. He can relax, which is nice. So good for you, Richie. You should you should get some rest. Nice. It was funny. I started reading this one. I was like, oh, this is going to be another one that I'm going to bounce off of. And then Rocket showed up and I was like, never mind. And I read the whole thing. <laughs> um, I felt like when Rocket shows up, it's like at the perfect time for some like much needed levity and like humor. Um, I was also very surprised by how buff Star-Lord was and uh, that he's part of a thruple. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i would think oh. his ego is too big for that but eh. oh no oh man oh actually <laughs> this is this is a series that i'm definitely going to plug because if you want to see the complete and total systematic transformation of peter quill the star lord mm-hmm. this series is for you there is literally kirk do you remember this issue where it's literally he goes to that planet Morneus and he becomes like a polyamorous like 
space hippie and he learns yeah. how to manipulate the stars and literally becomes a star lord in effect and is essentially the master of the sun that's a great issue mm-hmm. by the way I, I would totally so if you can just look up guardians of the galaxy by al you in volumes one and two nice. and check out the series i think it's in volume two but it's it's literally just one issue where he after like he dies with 50 quotation marks around dies mm-hmm. is like reborn on another planet <laughs> And and basically, yeah, basically becomes like a space hippie who learns how to manipulate like the stars, and it's really cool actually. So he he gets his ego taken down just a little bit, but um, totally has a, an upgrade, I would say. Yeah, mm-hmm. I definitely liked him way better than the like whiny, jealous version who like in the MCU meets Thor and is immediately insecure. Um, and then anything with Billy and Teddy gets a plus one bonus to its rating, so I gave it a nine out of ten. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I I enjoyed this book as well. It was a really satisfying conclusion. Uh, I love the big Voltron. Let's just combine a bunch of our powers. Yeah. Star Lord, send your powers to Nova, who's in Rocket's absurd mega bullet. Like, it's it's just like a bunch of superheroes coming together to do some big convoluted play like that's peak comic books for me i love that shit oh yeah um there's a really nice splash page at the end with all of the people who have been part of the guardians in this and it's really fun uh it's funny that jess mentions the the thruple in it because we've got gamora and peter hanging off either side of uh dick rider um (laughs) dick rider nice and uh very clever (laughs) and uh both of them have at least one hand somewhere behind uh, Nova, and it's just my nice head cannon that they are definitely a thruple over there. Like you yeah, cannot no, see what they're holding. I know Pete. Pete has ever since his his old transformation on Morneus, Pete has been very loose around Rich. And I, I don't. <laughs> I, I I feel like I, I definitely got that vibe. Like everything they've been doing with um, Gene Scott and Wolverine mm-hmm. feels like exactly what they're doing here. Where I feel like. Rich has Rich has always had feelings for Gamora. Gamora's starting to feel feelings for Rich again, but also is still in love with Pete. And Pete's been friends with Rich for forever, and now that he's basically bisexual, is probably starting to develop feelings for Rich. So they're just like, eh, why don't we all just have some fun together? <laughs> it's like, why not? Right? And, I don't really have a problem with that. And then I said that, and Kirk was like... Yeah, and I said, oh, well, they're not the first thruppling. And he was like, yeah, I know the big joke. But then I showed him <laughs> in the Pride Anthology, there was a comic of an Oli on the island of Krakoa at a bar. And in the background of a bunch of panels in that comic, you see Jean and Wolverine and Cyclops in the background. Like, they have a little fight, and then they make up, and then the boys hug, and then they're dancing. And Jean's, like, off in the corner, but the boys are, like, grinding on each other. <laughs> Yeah. And Kirk was like, what is this? I was like, I don't know. It was already confirmed. <laughs> well, I mean, well, the real question is, are they a thruple or is it actually a, a mm. what would you call a, a four person? Is that a quad <laughs> or something? I don't know that there's a. Because I know, I know he's, I know like, they, they, they've been like so cryptic about it where mm. you have issues where Scott is using like very, very flirtatious language around Emma and Emma is reciprocating. And then there are moments where Emma and Jean are like almost having like their kind of flirty language. And you're like, is this, is this, has this now evolved into a foursome? <laughs> All we know is that Emma does not have a bedroom in the Summer's house, 
but both Logan <laughs> and Scott on the oh. map of the Summers house, there is a specific, there is a special, it is specifically drawn that there is a hallway from each of their bedrooms oh into Jean's bedroom. Well, maybe it's like they're a thruple and, <laughs> and uh, Emma's like a floater or something. She's going to have some fun. But she's not like exclusive to anyone. She She's too in control to be uh, exclusively in a relationship with them. And I think yeah. the thing that disqualifies it from a full quad is I bet Emma and Wolverine do not speak. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> Wolverine's a little too, a little too grimy for that. <laughs> But yeah, I gave this issue a an 8 out of 10. I really enjoyed it. And honestly, it's a lot of evolution for a lot of good characters. Nova gets really well in this series. Star-Lord and Gamora get a good treatment. And then we just get some fun side treatment of some really cool characters that I hope we pick up more in the future. Mm. Philavel and Moondragon have become favorites of mine since featuring in Guardians for the past few iterations. And uh, I want Hulkling and Wiccan to go on to do something exciting. We know they're not done yet. <clears throat> yeah, and I, I, I totally forgot to mention um, Marvel Boy and Hercules. They've been awesome in this run, too. Mm-hmm. Right? There's a lot of LGBT representation in this series. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, if we if we count Star-Lord and Rich, there's one, two, three, four LGBT couples on screen in this series. Yeah. Represent. Which makes up like 50% of the team. <laughs> There's so mm-hmm. many people on this team. Yeah, I know. All right. Before we hop into the soapbox, let's just take a brief commercial break here. After these messages, we'll be right back. Now, back to our program. And we're back. Thanks for listening so long now we're here with our soapbox these are our full reviews for some of the ones that we just had a bit more to say about maybe uh we're gonna kick it off with the death of dr strange number one uh brought to us by writer jed mckay art by lee garbett color by antonio fabela and lettering by Corey petit this one starts off a short event we're going to be dealing with over the next few months the death of dr strange this is short really the right word? Because there's like 15,000 tie-ins. I, I thought there was like 12. It's, it's Oh my god. It's done by January. Yeah, okay. Short maybe is the wrong word. But it's... um. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's not a short event. Alright. I'll, I'll, I'll eat that one. Uh, but it's an event we're going to be giving some coverage to over the next little while. The Death of Doctor Strange... This one starts with Strange monologuing about his life, his purpose, uh, and frequently revisiting a famous wizard of, sorcerer of legend who excised a piece of his soul and able to attain mortal life. Very Voldemort. Um, however, we see him, you know, just sort of running around and being the Sorcerer Supreme. Uh, it, and it's it's neat in this issue that they... They touch on a lot of the things that they have tied Doctor Strange to in the past few years of comics. Like, it shows him running over and doing stuff at Strange Academy, and then running over here and being a doctor, and then running over here and being a sorcerer, doing other stuff. And he, he's just, he's teaching, he's fighting, he's avenging, he's everywhere. And then it shows him die. Spoiler alert. Death of Doctor Strange involves 
the death of Doctor Strange. Uh, and we learn uh, very quickly that the Avengers are panicked and looking for Doctor Strange to come uh, help because when the Sorcerer Supreme dies, the barrier the Sorcerer Supreme is maintaining to protect Earth vanishes. So all of the alien dimensions that want a piece of Earth, they're all coming out of the woodwork because Doctor Strange isn't holding them back. We get to see a fun conversation between Wong blaming Mordo for the death of Doctor Strange and Mordo saying, uh, you know, typical villain banter of, I wanted Strange to die, but only by my hand. Very peak villain cheesiness. Uh, and at the final, we get a reveal of a piece of magic that Doctor Strange used in the event of his death. I'm not going to spoil exactly what that is until we cover the next issue, because it's the very final panel of this. I think this one could end up being a cool series with some neat impacts. It might change some of the mystic side of the comic universe that we're dealing with right now. But this is a lackluster start, I gotta be honest. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I read it, and it was neat to see them acknowledge that they have overcommitted Doctor Strange to all of these other sub-stories, and that he's just so busy being a Sorcerer Supreme. Um, and I like him touching that on the fact that the Strange Academy exists so that the Vishanti might pick the next Sorcerer Supreme. <clears throat> and we've seen eras where Doctor Strange hasn't been the Sorcerer Supreme, and that's cool. It's, it's neat. They do some fun stuff with things like that. Ooh. But this book isn't fun. <laughs> Sorry, now I'm being too mean. No, that's okay. I I want this to be interesting because, like we said, it's going to be going on till January. We're going to be reading tie-ins and pieces of it. And I promise to cover it to the best of my ability unless it gets hella bad. But I'm just not... This book didn't feel... It was just Doctor Strange monologuing, talking to bats. It wasn't until he died on page, like, 22 that anything got interesting to me. <clears throat> mm -hmm. So I don't know. I I didn't rate it very high, but I'm going to I'm going to put it to you guys before I drop my rating. See if I'm am I off base? Did what did what did this book do for you guys? It was a um okay. I'll, I'll, let me let me put my thoughts in order. Um it was a Decent look into the life of a, of a Doctor Strange, I guess. Um, but I don't know. I, I mean, I'm kind of with you on this one. It, it, it didn't even really feel like this. I mean, it, I feel like you could have cut 50 to 60% of the initial starting stuff of the book, of just Doctor Strange going through his routine and his daily life and all that stuff. Just cut all that out and just get to, like, the hook of this book. Like, that's what people are here for. It's, it's literally just, like, they spend pretty much, the like you said, the majority of this book just a day in the life. Then he gets his big, you know, death at the end. And then we finally get into more of the interesting stuff with Chapter 2, and it's, like, eight pages. Um, and I really like the art, and I, and I think it's a serviceable you know, fun, like, Doctor Strange initial story where he's like, oh, he's at Strange Academy, and he's, you know, fighting off other people and just doing his stuff. But, like, that, I don't know. It's, it's not really compelling. Um, and, and it doesn't really get compelling until about halfway through the book. Um, actually, a little bit later than that, not really until, like, 
whatever, what, page 23 or whatever it is when he actually meets his mysterious assailant. And then it's like, oh, shit, you know, things are getting serious. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Like, it was fine. I, I didn't hate it. So I didn't score it low because it's fairly inoffensive in, you know, just kind of the initial stuff. It just wasn't all that interesting. So I ended up giving it a 7.5. As a start, a little disappointing. I just wish we could have gotten to the meat of it a little bit earlier. If they had and it was, like, really dealing with the fallout and the mystery and the major revelation at the end of the, well, I, I won't spoil it, but um just that kind of stuff i might have enjoyed it a little bit more but just the fact that it really kind of was treading water for so long of it just made it a little bit harder to get into so 7.5 but it did like the art i wanted to like it but it felt like there was because obviously when you pick up a book you know the title of it duh so the first <laughs> 10 pages where Bats is on him about his cardiovascular health and then Wong is on him about his eating habits and they like make a joke about like, ah, oh, can't like doctor the doctor. They know better. They're not going to listen to your medical advice or health advice. I was like, yeah, I get it. Everyone's worried about him dying. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. Stop. Foreshadowing. Oh, my yeah. It felt like a fourth grader's version of foreshadowing, though. Like, yes, yeah. It, it, Where you're like, it's like, like, like I, I remember writing like a story or something when I was in like third grade, something with like a skateboard. And I was just like, I remember I had this part because my teacher called me out on it. And it was just like, you know, this is the skateboard that you're really going to need, but I won't say why. <laughs> like, so obvious and on the nose. Yeah, right? Like, and it was, I kept rolling my eyes. I was like, this can't be it, surely. But then he goes to surgery, and don't get me wrong, I haven't read a Doctor Strange comic before. But why, <laughs> when you're already the Sorcerer Supreme, protecting the planet, the dimension, and running a school? Are you going back to surgery? I get that it's your first love and it's blah, blah, but It's a hobby. Get off it. <laughs> he's allowed to have hobbies. Yeah. Yeah, he's a dedicated So do Lego. Like, <laughs> everyone's well, allowed you know, their he hobbies. Can, he can save lives in the mystic and he can save lives in the hospital. Okay, so what happens if he's, like, hands on a heart and then someone out in the street? Like, it, the timing of it was too good. Like, obviously, that day everything worked out. <laughs> but what, like, if that guy had decided to run out into the street two hours earlier, he would have been like, oh, sorry. Like, Yeah, sorry. <laughs> like, either suspend the surgery in time or something using magic. Like, obviously there are ways he could get around it, but it just feels so contrived, and it felt a lot like he was flexing, and that it's just a lot of, like, pompous male ability, where whenever a woman does this, they're called a Mary Sue, so it pisses me off that there isn't a male version of that word, first off. Gary Stew. They're... Oh. Gary Stew. Okay, I didn't know that. Um, but it's just... <sighs> and then, as soon as he dies, the whole world falls apart, and it's like, hey, if you're that important... You should be, like, in a panic room all the time. <laughs> Why are well, that, you that, answering your front I door? Think, I think that was definitely more for the melodrama where they're yeah. just, like, you know, he dies and, and everyone has, like, a moment. All the characters that are connected to the mystical have mm -hmm. a moment where they, they look up into the sky and they're like, oh, something happened. Yeah. 
I'm trying to think. There's definitely like that that moment in and of itself is not original. They've definitely had moments like that before mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, something really serious just happened when someone died. But mm-hmm. I can't think of it off the top of my head. But. Well, and I also am sitting here like, okay, if you're that connected to the mystic and he knows all these magicians and wizards and what have you, did no one sense there was, like, impending doom? Because usually there's someone like that who has some kind of precog or premonitions or anything like that. And I was just flabbergasted. I was like, there's so many superheroes and he's friends with all of them. Like, this isn't an origin. This isn't anything like that. And he's just waltzing around down the street of New York to go do surgery. <laughs> and then he's at home. And he even, like, spells out. He's like, oh, yeah, Wong's going out for this. Bats isn't here. Like, why? What What are the chances? Did you tell everybody about your roommate's schedule that week? That they were like, ah, yes, Thursday night. That's when I will strike. Well, I will say, and this is one of the things that I hold against this comic. Um... The thing that is most interesting to me in this entire 30-odd page book is Doctor Strange opens the door, or and I do actually, I did actually love this routine. He's in his, like, PJs or whatever, and then his <laughs> door knocks, so he magically turns into his robe and throws open the door with an enter. Yeah. And then he looks down, and he his exact words are, how odd, what brings you here? And then it shows, dark smile, knife out. Doctor Strange murked. Like, in that order. But the person that he saw merited the response, how odd. Yeah. So it is not a person that we assume, it's not Mordo or Caecilius, Mm -hmm. it's not someone that Doctor Strange saw and went, have at thee, you braggart. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and he didn't say, you know, by the hoary hosts of Hogarth Mm -hmm. or any of the usual... Strange isms, like it was just a very like nonchalant reaction. Yeah, so this person is neither pure, obviously evil. Not a stranger to him. Probably not dead, because he's not surprised. He's just, oh, this is weird. Um, there's even a small chance, and I'm wondering there's a small chance, and I'm wondering if it's related to the thing that we found out Doctor Strange did in case of his death. Um, wonder if it's potentially related to there being that type of person around. Yeah. So yeah, overall, like I do want to read more because like you guys already said, the last third of this, I was like, okay, finally, this is interesting. What is going on? Who is this? Where did this, how did this, who, what, when, where, why, how? So I gave it a five out of 10 specifically for the last half. If it didn't have that last half, it was getting like a three because of art. (laughs) Damn. I think I ended up giving it a 7 out of 10 just because, like, I didn't think it was terrible. It was just a very... Oh, no, I said 7.5. But, yeah, it was just kind of a lackluster opening. Like. Mm-hmm. And I gave it a 6.5. I I liked it well enough, but it was but it was dull. And um, even without the, uh, the engendered argument that Jess brought up, which is spot on, by the way, just the... I've never been, like, a comic that spends a lot of time showing me, like, look how busy and important this person is <laughs> almost never resonates with me. Like, whether it's um, them proving to me that Doctor Strange is super busy and important or Carol Danvers or whoever they give these 16-page montages to, they're never, like... Or, like, Spider-Man. They've, I've read so many of these with Spider-Man, of him just being like, look, I'm a good 
child to Aunt May helping around the house, and I'm a good superhero, and I'm I'm a good scientist, and I'm a good reporter. And, and then the bell rings. Well, you know it's. I mean, you know it's kind of a load when they say that, you know, from the perspective of a superhero, because it's like there are like 15 million supers in New York City alone. You can't be that important. I'm sure there are plenty of other people doing the exact same types of things that you are. Not that that doesn't diminish it, but mm-hmm. it's like you, you are not the center of the universe or, you know, I, I look at look at how many people I save. I am sure Spider-Man or the New Warriors or like any of the other people based in New York are doing similar things on their daily routine. Mm-hmm. And they all have jobs too. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I gave it a 6.5. It just didn't start with a bang, but the mystery mm. of it, who killed him, why, and what will be the impact of it. I'm here for it. I'm going to read more issues yeah. of it. Uh, yeah, for sure. I do. Anytime I see a page full of tie-ins though, when they say that there's death of Dr. Strange, Spider-Man death of Dr. Strange, the Avengers, I get a little, uh, like, I just, tie-ins almost never, like, lately have never, like, landed aside from, like, two or three. Yeah, no, my eyes go into the back of my head usually. (laughs) I will say, though, as a new reader, knowing what to expect, that if I'm not reading those series, that I could just pop in for one issue that is continuing what I've already spent money on. But I do Mm. agree that it's, like, ugh. After, like... I did try to read some of, like, King of Black stuff, because, like, in June, I was thinking about maybe joining you guys, and I was like, oh, this is weird. Like, I really didn't enjoy that arc at all, like, the whole story. But this one, I'm interested in the story, so I'm hopeful that the tie-ins will be more meaningful. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now we'll stop beating Doctor Strange <laughs> to death. <laughs> <laughs> and head over to the United States of Captain America, issue number four, brought to us by writer Christopher Cantwell with pencils by Ron Lim, ink by Cam Smith and Scott Hanna, and a bonus story written by Alyssa Wong with art by Jody Nishijima, color the whole issue brought to us by Matt Mila, and lettering by Joe Caramagna. I'm going to pass it over to Jess to uh, summarize it briefly. I know we've got two stories in this one, but let's hear it. So the first one is continuing from other comics. In this series, I assume. Uh, So Steve, Bucky, and Falcon are leaving Kickapoo. They go to Colorado, where Sam has, like, a cabin. (laughs) Um, They are met with Aaron and Ariel. They meet up with them there. Um, Steve and Bucky have to go to a bar to try and recruit more help, um, while Falcon realizes that... uh, Commander Krieger has infiltrated NORAD. Um, so it turns out that the guy at the bar who they're trying to convince to join them is none other than John Walker, U.S. agent, who is already plastered. <laughs> so they join up together, the six of them, and head to NORAD. NORAD? Um, and it turns out that Krieger is about to unleash a part of Hitler's Madness? The, anger? Uh, the hate monger right. is, the, yeah. is the, the name for this thing. So everyone bugs Cap about always having Nazis have to come up in his stories. Um, so there's a big punch out between all six of them fighting the three on Krieger's side. Um, or seven of them fighting Krieger's side. But they are unsuccessful. Hate monger gets out. Krieger gets away. And they're left with the sidekicks and they're going to try and find out more information to go from here 
specifically with John Walker probably interrogating somebody because <laughs> he is no longer a Cub Scout. <laughs> the second story, um, we see Ariel at her university and it's Halloween night. Um, she is going to avenge one of her roommates uh, who was roughed around by some pompous elitist asshole. So she heads to the party to grab evidence from phones and then he catches her in his room. They have a fight. She knees him in the groin expertly. Good girl. <laughs> and dashes out because um, he's unable to figure out which Captain America it was who was in his room at the party. Um, and then it turns out that all of their roommates were involved and it was super sweet. Um, so the reason why <laughs> I decided to do this soapbox is because of the second story. Don't get me wrong, that first story was really good. Um, like, I understood completely what was happening, even though I haven't read the first four parts or three parts. Um, I understand the whole, like, teaming up to defend the mantle. And they're also tackling, like, neo-fascists and how, like, all these different things that sometimes I've seen people use Captain America as, like, this epitome of Americana and the Second Amendment and all these other, like, to tout and tote their own beliefs and viewpoints on the Constitution or religion or anything like that. But for me, especially as a Canadian, I guess, but for me watching the mm. Captain America movies, I was really struck by the fact that he's like a humanitarian first and then a soldier second. And from there, he's even now skeptical of his commands and is now a rogue in the MCU um, canon. And so I always was confused. Like, I get that the title Captain America does have a certain amount of patriotism attached to it. Um, but I was really surprised, I guess, that Marvel Comics was putting out comics that were like, no, we don't support Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> Which seems silly considering that's what Captain America first fought. <laughs> so I was happy to see that, that they were willing to take like a direct stand to be like, no, don't use our shield for your views because Captain America does not represent that. <laughs> he represents fighting against that. All that kind of thing. But that second one, oh boy, I was like trying super hard not to cry the whole time because it was so powerful. Um, I don't even know if there's a way for me to really describe it, but it's so hard to have, like as a culture, we've taught toxic masculinity and that women need to apologize and make themselves small and like all these different things. And it's also like sometimes inescapable. Like sometimes you're just a hundred pounds lighter than a guy. And he honestly, if he chose to be a dick, could do a lot of things that like to harm somebody, regardless whether it was a woman or a child or anything like that. But for me, the biggest thing always comes down to if we teach them that it's not okay, then typically... <laughs> They won't do things like that, regardless of whether they can or not. Um, so I think it was really well handled. It's also like adorably drawn. Like I love Ariel's style and her costume. Um, and like dealing with this massive douche. <laughs> like she's very articulate and very um, well thought out. Like she didn't just go in to like try and kick his butt. Because I don't know if she specifically has powers. I know not all of the Captain Americas in this series do. Um, but I just, yeah, it felt really empowering, um, especially since, like most women, I have experienced things like this, 
and it was done in a way too that I didn't feel for me it didn't trigger anything because it wasn't explicit or give details about what he did um, but it definitely like tells you that he is not nice <laughs> in any way shape or form um, so yeah I was like really 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 happy to see this and let's the idea that anyone can be Captain America seems to be the theme of this, like, series, which I love. Um, and that it's more so about, like, sticking up for yourself and the little guy and the underdog. And I feel like that's an important tool, so... Not that I can really take anything from what she did and use it in my everyday life, but I think it is really nice, too, to think of, like, sisterhood, that we are a lot stronger together, and when you share your story, then... Even if you're not strong enough to tackle your attacker or deal with the legal ramifications or medical ramifications of what has happened to you, if you share, it lightens your load and you aren't carrying all that weight because a lot of it is victim shaming and victim blaming. Um, so yeah, I'll pass it off. I have more to say, but I need a minute. <laughs> oh, did we lose Brandon? What's up? Oh, sorry. Oh, I thought. No, I was. I was waiting for Kurt. Oh, oh. yeah, I can. I can hop in. Sorry. <clears throat> um, yeah. No, I really like this book. Uh, the the first part, the continuation of the United States of Captain America series, I felt was good. It was uh, well written. The the chemistry between uh, four different dudes who have all been Captain America joined by some new kids who are newly Captain America. Uh, it's cool. I like the writing. It's fun. It's a good time. Uh, I really like this series, and it's a shame, uh, you know, how... I don't know if I, who to blame for this. Maybe it's just sensationalist media or reactionary audiences. But this series, well before it got launched, there was a lot of drama online about it because a news article of would course. see that they've announced a uh, a Native American Captain America and a young girl Captain America and a um, an, uh, an Arab Captain America, or a, I believe a Muslim Captain America. Um, and they showed these off. And the idea being that these are just people who have all been inspired by Captain America, that anyone can be inspired by Captain America. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was beautiful. But the way these news articles were posting, they were like, boom, Native American, Captain America, discuss. And a bunch of people were like, how dare they replace Steve Rogers or whatever and just do this for free representation brownie points or whatever they call it. SJW, whatever whatever gross language they're using in their reactionary politics, because that's not Ooh. what the story is. The story is just, like you said, it's so many people can rise up and so many people can can wear this mantle and can be proud of America, no matter who they are. And even as a not-American, Captain America has always been one of my favorite superheroes since I was a kid. Literally, and thank my wife for this, our bathroom downstairs has a poster of Captain America. It has a picture of Captain America. It has a Captain America shield <laughs> bath mat. It, awesome. There's a Captain America lunchbox on the counter with toiletries in it. It, 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 it's a Captain America. Captain America is my dude. I love it. And I am. So I'm filled with joy at the concept of all of these people being able to be proud of fighting for what's right and fighting against bullies and oppression. And, and there's, and that there's so much of that message lost. And I don't know if it's 
the headlines to blame to say Marvel unveils new Latin American Captain America and make it sound like they're replacing it. Maybe it's their fault. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Maybe it's just that too many people are looking to score conversation points by immediately making it about their drama. I don't know. I it, it bums me out that that's where this book landed before it even got a chance to say anything. But I like the story and it's a good tease like the 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 base story if I rated it on its own without the addendum story it would probably be a 7.5 out of 10. It's just a great stepping stone in them uniting a team and beating up some bad guys who it's Captain America, they're Nazis. Oops. <laughs> um but the additional of the extra story just showing that snapshot of what it could mean to say like this is a job for Captain America and that doesn't mean that it's a job for Steve Rogers is a thing and that's cool and I like that and it bumped it up and the fact that it also represented something that resonated so powerfully with Jess and I read it before she did and I was like oh fuck I can't wait to hear what Jess has to say about it and <laughs> I, and I didn't tell her what happened in it because I wanted her to go in and I wanted to know if I was on the right track but I read it and I was like oh this is it's going to mean something to people. And, I, and I'm so glad that it did. So I gave the issue as a whole an 8.5 out of 10. Like, I really enjoyed it. Um, and the main story is just cool. And they're doing great things. But it's these side stories that I feel are... I don't know. what What's really shining here? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, uh, I definitely agree with you. That's... Um, if I could be entirely honest, the, the main story is what I've been kind of finding lackluster for the past two issues, I'd say. I mean, it's good. You know, I mean, when I read the initial solicitation for it, it was, you know, oh, Steve's shield gets stolen and he has to go across the country and try and figure out the conspiracy that's going on. I was like, oh, that sounds so lame. <laughs> um, like, who cares? But to be honest, it was, I mean, I think Jess really touched on it. It was, um, the idea that you could have all these people that are inspired by the Captain America model, not necessarily inspired by American idealism or anything, but just the ideals that you can have with Captain America, you know, standing up for what's right and bravery and all that stuff. And like that as a, as a pure ideal is something that anyone can adopt, regardless of their um, race or gender or sexual orientation or, or whatever the case may be. So I really loved that. And I think I, I consistently find myself more interested in these backup stories of um, these, you know, random Captain Americas who are just inspired by that model and, and want to do right. And um, I mean, I know this one definitely hit home for me. I mean, I, I have not experienced sexual harassment in any way that a woman has, but, um, you know, being a college student who's on campus, who's certainly seen and, and been to parties like this where this kind of activity happens it's it's difficult to um really encapsulate how horrible it can be for people and, and how hard it is for them to speak up about it so um yeah i just i, I found the backup story to be in, incredibly just engaging and enjoyable even as just like a you know a short little story while the main story was fine and enjoyable and had its moments but it just wasn't as captivating for me. So uh, if I had to break them up, I'd probably give the main story seven, the backup more of like an eight point, excuse me, an 8.25 and 
overall probably score the thing at about an eight or so. But I, I wish we could get more with these, you know, Captain Americas across the country. I, I find their stories to be a lot more interesting. Mm-hmm. I also just do want do want to shout out that when they were revealing the designs for some of the Captain Americas we'd be seeing in this book, I remember seeing hers with her uh, with her skirt and her leather jacket, and I was like, "Yo, yeah. I don't care." Who what her story is i dig it like <laughs> yeah they're great they're, I, I love it's like a like a college diy cap costume it, ma- it makes me want to make my own like one for a costume party or something i mean obviously not for like to to fight off anyone but i don't know it just might be some fun little crafting project or something like that so there's actually like a phenomenon that's more common with disney characters but it's called disney bounding where you take normal clothes, like you don't put like extra features on them to make it look like the character. You color block in a way that is reminiscent of that character. And that's what I got when I looked at hers. If it didn't have the star on the jacket is the biggest example, then it's just mm. a jacket you could buy. It's just a skirt you could buy. It just happens to be the right color scheme. And then the shield, of course, is a, like a prop prop. Um, yeah, I agree. <laughs> she looks dope. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I think probably another reason why this story hit me so hard this week specifically is that this like weekend in the UK, there's a girl who's exactly my age, her name is Sabina, and she was just walking through a park at night at 8.30, and now she's dead. Like, there's so many things wrong with how we teach little boys to behave and the boys will be boys thing. Like, there's a lot going on in the world, <clears throat> worldwide, that... This sends a really good message to girls that, like, there is, it's hard to be strong alone all the time. There is strength in numbers, but ideally it shouldn't be about women's behavior. It should be about men's behavior and about what they think is okay and how they are taught to treat women. So, yeah, I gave this book a 10 out of 10, (laughs) the original story, though. The original one I gave like an 8.5 out of 10 because for me, jumping into these things, if it if I have no idea what's going on, like you need to like name drop like as soon as someone comes on screen, <laughs> which they did for Aaron and Ariel, so I appreciate that. And even John Walker on the bar, I was like, it looks like what I think the US agent outfit is, but Steve very quickly says John and then later says, I know you go by US agent now. Like, there are certain comics that I've jumped into that do this really well, and then there are other comics where they're, like, talking to each other for three pages before either of them says the other's name, and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, if I can't recognize it due to, it, like, that character's style, that character's costume, anything like that, it becomes really hard for me to want to stay engaged, because then I have to reread it to know, okay, so Steve said to Bucky, yada, yada, yada. And so I feel like this one did a really good job of that. So I do give it a good score. And I felt like the fight was also good. Like it very clearly spelled out like why the shield was stolen, what the shield's purpose is, um, and now what their goal is. Because they really didn't know aside from just getting it back because they didn't know what the end goal was. Um, so yeah, I thought it was like really well done and kind of the reveal of like a whodunit and why <laughs> behind it. Um, yeah, I still like rated that pretty good. Like. I'd give it an 8.5, but yeah, that that last story, it's just, it speaks a lot to what it's like to be a young woman in the 21st century, (laughs) dealing with people who you most of the time have no control over whether or not you can cut that person out of your life. Like, they talk about how 
his family has lots of money, so you're kind of powerless to try and do anything through the school because they've donated all this money to the school, so the school doesn't want to anger them because then they'll lose money because it is an institution that is there to generate money most of the time. And so I was really like, yep, that kind of thing happens where, like, if the president of the Students Association or anything like that, it's so hard to try and namely protect yourself from that afterwards like if if an initial incident happens you either have to decide am i giving up my education like there's so many things that happen behind the scenes before they even go to that step of telling anybody so i i applaud the writers for that last one it was it's really 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 good i highly recommend you check it out i'm probably gonna buy it when it comes out just to have in our like kirk already said our bathroom just like a quick little read you can just <laughs> feel good about people from all walks of life being Captain America awesome alright now we've got X-Men number 3 this one is brought to us by writer Jerry Duggan uh, with art by uh, Pepe Larraz color by Marte Gracia and lettering by Clayton Cowles and I'm going to pass it over to Brandon all right, X-Men, the big team, the big book. Um, this is, uh, I guess, just kind of following the model of the last two issues, which is something shows up and the X-Men have to deal with it. And I love that because it so, it's such a simple setup, but it's so effective. Like the first one was just, um, it was the, whatever that creature was called, the breeder that basically showed up and, they kind of had to figure out, like, okay, how are we going to deal with this? How are we going to break it down? And they had to make, like, the mech and everything. And then the following issue saw that um, that other, like... The Annihilation Wave. Yeah, the Annihilation Wave show up and had some really, really cool moments for Gene and Sunfire and everyone. And they had to help out the small town and everything. And it's just, like, each issue has been, like, okay, what can we throw at the X-Men? What kind of crazy, unbelievable shit can they handle this month that no other team could handle in such spectacular fashion so what do we have this month this month brings the high evolutionary who's kind of been lurking in the background <clears throat> on the um uh on the uh, gaming world that cordyceps jones has been running and finally decides that he is going to take some action into his own hands and uh, really is is sort of impressed with the X-Men, uh, which I guess is fitting considering his name, the High Evolutionary, as he kind of comes to Earth with uh, his daughter from uh, Uncanny Avengers, Illuminous, and he's kind of like, mutants, like, you guys have achieved the next level. You are the pinnacle of societal achievement. And, you know, as a recognition of that, I'm going to give you a little gift. It's a, a little sphere. And uh, it's really going to help you out by wiping out all of human life on the planet. Uh, like basically, <laughs> guaranteeing, basically guaranteeing that you will be the dominant species on the planet. And of course, the X-Men are not having any of that shit. They immediately, really it's Rogue leading the charge, who immediately decides to lash out against uh, old Herb Wyndham and says, yeah, you need to take that shit back the fuck off planet, go back to Counter-Earth, and leave us alone. So... Pretty much the issue revolves around them just knocking the crap out of <clears throat> the high evolutionaries uh, evolution team um, and, and, and really trying to show them what's what, that the this earth is not meant to be fucked with because the X-Men are here. But uh, they finally reach some sort of agreement uh, with the high evolutionary who decides that 
he will leave Earth for but one drop of blood from the most, or at least who he perceives to be the most powerful among them, um, Sink, who seemingly has the power to mimic other mutants. And they're kind of hesitating at first, you know, they have no idea what this could lead to, but um, Everett kind of, you know, decides, hey, it's in our best interest to just give him what he wants and just help him leave the planet. That is almost certainly going to come back to bite them in the ass later, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Um, High Evolutionary and Jean Grey have a little bit of a psychic back and forth, revealing that there are some other machinations in the work, uh, particularly on Game World, as well as some others who have really just been inspired into action after the events of Planet Size X-Men and the terraforming of Mars. But Scott and Jean are just like, eh, it's a problem, but you know what? When it comes, we'll deal with it. Like, that's what we do. We're not, we're not going to be proactive about this at all. It's, it's just going to, it's just going to happen. It's going to come to us and we're going to, we're going to look cool taking their, you know, taking their, their shit down, basically. Um, the flash to Coney Island where Ben Yurick is meeting with a, a very shady and mysterious figure who seems to be answering some of the questions that Ben had in the first issue, which is how the hell have mutants been coming back from the dead? It's seemingly unexplained. Uh, and this is sort of the confirmation that Ben has been looking for, which is the photo showing the deceased body of Cyclops, which I don't even know how they got footage of that, considering the Orcus base was destroyed, but somehow this guy got access to it and is expecting that Ben will be publishing that presumably award-winning article within the next few hours. And that was uh, a big, flashy issue of uh, X-Men number three. And if you couldn't tell by the tone of my voice, it was a lot of fun to read. It was just loud and action-packed and, and a lot of fun and, and crazy. And um, the X-Men are very witty in this. Like, it, they just <laughs> seem to quip a lot. And they're just like, yeah, like, they're taking down the Extinction team and and are in a lot of the... Uh, a lot of ways facing like certain death and they're just like yeah yeah like shake it off we'll just keep moving particularly cyclops oh my gosh really seems to be having his shit kicked in by one of the gorillas later and he's just like uh, i had you right where i wanted you guys like <laughs> come on scott we all knew you were you were totally down for the count but um no this was a lot of fun to read it was really great it's just fun to read this x-men in this style where it's just like you know, what can we what can we throw against this super uber powerful team of Krakoan X Men? And um, I'm loving it. Pepe Larraz's art is so gorgeous. I mean, not only is he great at just showing these incredibly complex alien designs and everything, but he's also great at action and the coloring just highlights that as well. It's just a really well put together, polished book, and and I love it. So I gave this one an eight point seven five out of ten. I had a lot of fun reading it. Yeah, I had a good time, honestly. Uh, the high evolutionary popping back to be just, you know, the usual level of <laughs> that he is was fun. Uh, the fight was really good. I liked the the, the twist that led uh, high evolutionary to agree to back down, and obviously that they're, they're he's coming back. He's got Sink's blood that's gonna always bite someone in the ass, of course. Uh, but and yeah, you hit the nail on the head with the dialogue. We've got. Uh, we've got Rogue being her like amazing self just with her obvious baggage about the high evolutionary then we've got the other mutants just like fighting off uh, his team of animal nightmares and like you said mm. Cyclops just losing 
constantly in this issue. Yeah. Just he, he's getting surrounded and outnumbered, and he's like, "Ha! This is just a, a riotous good time, of course." Yeah. No. This is. I mean, I can handle it. It's no problem. I'm Cyclops. It's like, dude, just look around. You're getting your shit kicked in, my guy. He's like the only. I, and I'm exaggerating here, but he's the, he's like the least Omega on the entire team. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Which is pretty big deal for like the power level of this roster of the X Men. Just like between Sunfire, Jean, Rogue, and Sync, and then combining the fact that we have like those powers all bundled up together, and then we've got mm-hmm. Laura like bringing in the Mad Regeneration, so Rogue and Sync don't even have to be careful. Yeah, I can just really cut loose. Like, it's a powerful roster. And then there's Cyclops. And he's powerful, and he's a genius, yeah. and he's super good at all his like at his stuff. But he's just getting his shit mixed. And that's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, it just it just wasn't his day, but he, he seems to not have a huge problem with it. It's like, yeah, I'm just going along with it. Yeah, I'm having a good time. I gave this one an 8.5 out of 10. It was a good time, it was a good issue, and... Uh, I'm looking forward to more, and uh, I, I'm more interested in the Ben Urich, like, blowing the top on Krakoa Resurrection mm-hmm. than I yes, am about the yeah. Cordyceps Jones thing. But Cordyceps Jones being used as a plot device to just throw insane shit at this team, it works for the first couple issues. But I, I can't wait for them to steer into, like, the the arc at large. Oh, yeah. And I, and I can't wait to see in what shape or form the High Evolutionary comes back in. Because we know that blood sample is going to lead to something crazy. Like, of course. I fully expect him to, you know, be breeding his weird animal hybrids with some of the DNA from that blood and seeing what kind of crazy stuff he can make with that. And I, I, I'm just totally here to see what happens next with, with the uh, High Evolutionary. Um. This one was hard to get into for me. Like, I did recognize some characters, but again, it didn't really, like, explain anything. It was just, hi, evolutionary. X-Men, fight. I was like, okay. So in my notes, I literally wrote, I don't know the full scope of who this guy is or why Rogue hates him, but I love her, and so anything she says and does, I will do. Um, <laughs> I also have... All you really need to know, yeah, it's like, all you really need to know about the high evolutionary is... Is this guy? He's a total douche, by the way. Mm-hmm. You didn't get that from the issue already. <laughs> yeah. His name. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. I just didn't know the backstory that obviously was there because he like opens his mouth and Rogue's like, shoot him. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I haven't ever read X Men like the the core like what I'm familiar with from the movies. Um, so reading Rogue's uh, accent was really fun, and then yeah, like you guys said, Scott being. Very different than the than the um, James Marsden. I love James Marsden, but his Cyclops was just whiny and jealous and all this stuff. Whereas this guy, I was like, oh, okay, this is actually fun. I didn't really, like, read the full thing. I kind of skimmed through it because I was like, I don't really know what's happening. They're on Arako. I get that part. Okay, I don't know who these people are exchanging information about the Resurrections. Like, I just didn't have any idea who anybody was. Um, so I didn't rate this one because I'm not going to, like... That's on me. I didn't have enough time this week. Also, I probably could go back and read one and two kind of thing, um, which I still might probably do before the next one comes out. But yeah, it, it's from what you guys said, it entices me more so to read one and two. 
compared to like X-Men Legends where I was like this is okay am I missing something but you guys telling me that it's like nah don't it's like flashbacks (laughs) whereas this one it's obviously building towards something and I want to be on that journey know what I mean so I feel like jumping into this one it makes me want to go back and buy one and two which I haven't always wanted to so far oh yeah I would I would say it's definitely worth just going back and checking it out and um before we close it out I just I have to I almost want to say this for my favorite moment, but I, I just have to point it out. There's this splash page in this that where um, all of the um, all the high evolutionaries like creatures are charging towards them, and one of them is like this weird elephant hybrid. And he says, and I, I shit you not, the Tesla elephant remembers Earth's mistreatment of elephants and Tesla. And Scott's <laughs> reply is, the X Men love elephants. <laughs> It was just so funny. I forgot about that. The Tesla elephant. Not all humans. Yes. Not all humans. Or not all Earth beings, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So that's that's canon now. The X Men love elephants. So I can expect them to have a an elephant sanctuary on Krakoa. Oh, that'd be so nice. <laughs> all right. So our final issue of the week comes to us by way of. We have X-Men, The Onslaught Revelation Number 1 by writer uh, C. Spurrier, art by Bob Quinn, color by Javier Tartaglia, and lettering by Clayton Cowles. Alright, before I dive into this one, minor thing. If you're a new listener, this is titled, you can look it up, it's Onslaught Revelation Number 1. It's not. This is Way of X Number 6. If you haven't, yeah, that was a deception. If you haven't read Way of X, this book will not make sense. It is not a start of another series. There is no number two. Uh, it is just onslaught revelation doing its thing. That said, if you have read Way of Way of X, oh dang, I love this book. I love a book with onslaught in the title. <laughs> That's it. Isn't That's it the review. <laughs> no. <sighs> All right. The, the brief summary is Nightcrawler and Legion put their final plan into action to stop Onslaught from ruining uh, all of Krakoa, essentially, by using his sort of placement in all of mutant kind's brains because he has infected them by being this giant telekinetic being sort of dropped into Krakoa by Orcus. And this book really comes into light by having Nightcrawler finalize the journey he went on in Way of X. Way of X number five, the final part of Way of X, did not finish the questions that Nightcrawler was asking in issue one. This book does. If you read it as a six-part series, and God help me, if they don't bundle it in the trades as a six-part series... Oh, they have to. That 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 wouldn't even make sense. Yeah. Uh, But that said... It's great. The dialogue is great. Uh, Spurrier does an amazing job. I love Nightcrawler's his his weird preaching in it. it like his cool, like his. There's a word that is not coming to my head. Like when a sermon is a story, a parable, mm-hmm. a parable. That's yes. it. He tells a parable about a a shoal of fish dealing with the concept of resurrection and how he has enlightened himself on how mutant kind needs to face resurrection and it is not 
the way he thought he would it was not where he would thought he would in the in book one in book one he was questioning whether resurrection was a bad thing in book mm. six he's questioning how we need to think about it and they end up building this amazing place with legion and it's a dope book we get yeah and a, sorry go ahead a surprise no no i was just gonna say and a, a, a i didn't know if you were gonna mention it but a, a surprisingly tender moment for fabian cortez right how like <laughs> uh, I, I feel bad for him and i don't like that i mean i'd like it but i, I he's a i'm dick. conflicted yeah and but that's the thing. And his, his moment going through and being like, look, I don't even have a mutant name because my power is so, like, shitty. I am forever sidelined. I'm forever this person in the background. Like, and I felt for him. And it, and then the moment with Dust, uh, where they use Dust to connect all of the minds in Legion's mind palace... And I don't know if they're actually changing Dust's name, but I all, I'm all for it. Uh, when they describe that a more fitting name for her power would be Congregation. And I'm kind of into it. Fitting for the uh, for this book, definitely. For the kind of religious themes of this book. Yeah, and then finally this book ends with Nightcrawler and then like they have solved this problem and Nightcrawler finally has sort of the pillar of his new mutant religion um fighting for the spark as they call it and announcing that the in the new age of mutant kind they're going to need legionaries and then it shows like this brief teaser image of what nightcrawler's team of legionaries is going to look like and hell yeah juggernaut is back yeah on nightcrawler's and... team what I like. All right, I've gushed enough. That's. He's <laughs> so excited. I'm I love so it. excited by this book. This was such a fun read. I love Legion. I love Nightcrawler. I'm excited for Juggernaut. Oh. Also, can I? Yeah, go can ahead. I just say Kurt is rocking the hell out of that goatee in like the last couple pages, or like last page. He looks so good. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I love this book. I gave it. I gave it a nine out of ten. I might be getting generous somewhere in here. I was just so shocked. And they used Onslaught in such a perfect way in that all of the characters remember that Onslaught sucks and they have to treat him seriously. But they didn't put him on the page in a way that, like, he he was never the Onslaught we remember. He was almost, like, he could have been a flood or a tsunami in the way that people were talking about him in that they just know he's going to cause damage, but he's mm. not out here monologuing much like no thank god which kind of works for onslaught that everyone knows if he gets if he gets what he wants it's bad and that's all that we need to know about onslaught for this book <laughs> i don't know i loved it what did you guys think i i love i've been i've just been having a fun as hell time reading this mini series and this was just a perfect um wrap up perfect coda to this this series just setting up things but also giving a, a satisfying conclusion but also kind of set up as to where kurt really wants to go next and, and maintaining the spark and leading the legionnaires and everything else and yeah i just I'm, I'm super stoked to see what happens next and um i never thought i would have felt that way of reading a fucking onslaught book but here we are <laughs> so it's it's 
it's really satisfying and it's really engaging and nice to have two X books to just be really excited about. So I gave this one an 8.5 out of 10. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, Nightcrawler is my favorite X-Men, uh, namely because <laughs> if I had mutant powers, his version of like teleportation is exactly what I would want. And blue is my favorite color, so that also helps. Um, but <laughs> trying to read this, it was titled at number one, so I was like, okay, sure. So I'm reading it, and he's bamfing all over the place, which, first off, that sound effect is amazing. The <laughs> fact that the superpower I want means that I'm a badass motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Hopping all over the island. Um, I like nice. it even more. But this comic had a lot going on from obviously before, and I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> And the history of it, so yeah, Kirk nailed it that calling it a number one is not true. It is a number six. Like, yeah. I I didn't get very far. Like, I had no idea what was going on. So Kirk, when Kirk, I said to Kirk, I was like, I really want to read this because I like Nightcrawler. And he's like, it's a number six. Like, if if it's hard, like, don't, I was like, it says number one, though. So, <laughs> honestly, do not pick this up first. Do the whole series, which I'm planning to do now. But yeah. when I have time, because it'll be like a side pet project now that this is kind of wrapped up. Um, yeah, it sounds super dope. I just, I, I, I had no idea. I was so confused <laughs> and lost the whole time. The first, like, six pages, I think, is when I gave up. Like, I just, I was Googling too many things. <laughs> and that was a whole rabbit hole, too. I text Kirk, I was like, yo, the five are kind of sketch, right? With the whole resurrection. Yeah, it was a whole thing. I was yeah. freaking out about the whole resurrection resurrection like protocols yeah protocols so it it sounds super fun from what you guys said so i'm definitely interested in reading both <laughs> these two x-men ones from kind of the beginning but we'll go from there awesome well that's our last book for the week so we'll dive now into you know best worst and favorite moment who wants to go first mm, i can go first um, the best of the week was the Halloween story from United States Captain America. Um, the worst for me was just the opening of Death of Doctor Strange. Like we already said, it was a snore of an intro, kind of like the Dark Ages number one that we reviewed a couple weeks ago, where like it felt like that first half of that comic wasn't necessary. Just get to the juicy stuff. Um, we don't really, like, we're smart, we don't really need preamble and also foreshadowing of a fourth grader you can do better guys um but my favorite moment that i didn't talk about um was in guardians of the galaxy number 18 the two-page spread of the bullet leaving rocket's gun making the impact and then the resulting like asteroid field afterwards was so beautifully drawn like i sit, sat there and stared at it flipping between the two pages it was just so well done and so pretty can't believe I didn't pick Billy and Teddy, but. <laughs> yeah, my my worst of the week probably goes to, I'm going to give it to X-Men Legends just because Death of Doctor Strange. That's true. Warrants more interest going forward. X-Men Legends, I don't know that I'll want to read number eight. At this point, I, I'm kind of over the framing device of this whole series. Aside from the fact, let's be honest, there isn't a framing device. It's just random flashback stuff. 
it doesn't seem to be relevant. I don't I don't know what I'm getting out of it yet. Yeah, I'd amend my... <laughs> I would recommend Death of Doctor Strange to overrect my legend, so that's the worst one of the week for me. Okay. Um, my best... I'm giving it to Onslaught Revelation. This was a good week, though, guys. Like, um, I'd say. And my favorite moment, there's a page in Onslaught Revelation that has Nightcrawler teleporting all around the effect of Congregation on Onslaught. And he, he gives this sermon, and there's a line in there that says, We cannot be a people without first being people, imperfect and impure. Like, I love that. It's it's really cool. Like, we can't unite until we understand that we're, we're all broken. broken. Yeah. And then in one of the famous, and, and I know some people have conflicting sort of uh, controversial thoughts on the pages of white text that X-Men comics have since the dawn of Krakoa. But there's an excerpt from The Spark, uh, Nightcrawler's Book of the Spark, uh, and the final line of it is, the spark will burn to ash anyone who fucks with the right of mutants to pursue happiness. <laughs> and it's like, I'm into it. <laughs> Nightcrawler's writing a, a, his own Bible and it's dropping swear words. It's like, man, Kurt, what a time to be alive. <laughs> All right, Brandon. Uh, my worst for this week, I mean, I didn't read x-men legends so i didn't really have any you know feelings towards that i didn't read reptile um and um i didn't read x corp um so i, th I didn't really have you know any ones that i felt were particularly bad but uh, of the ones that i did read i'd say the weakest was probably dr strange the death of dr strange uh again not because it's you know, terrible in any way. It was just kind of a lackluster setup, really, and, and that's its biggest flaw. Uh, but my favorite had to be X-Men number three. It was just such a, a fun, action-packed, like, just how much crazy stuff can we do in these fights? It just was a lot of fun to read. Um, and witty and charming and, and all the stuff that um, the X-Men can be. And uh, I'd probably say my favorite moment had to be... Um, just that page of 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 sync giving the blood to um, the high evolutionary. It's just so well drawn and well illustrated. That whole moment uh, where Laura's kind of cutting his finger, and uh, I just I love I loved the art in this book. It's such a just such a fun book. So anyway, that's X Men. <laughs> awesome. It's always good when we have three different favorite issues of the week. Uh... Yeah, you know it, it's good when there's obviously like a gangbuster issue that everyone agrees on, but it's good that there's when there's a week where there's just a lot of good comics, and you know it's a shame that some of these other ones that I gave high scores for, like Moon Knight and Guardians and Fantastic Four, they all showed up this week. Like, yeah, all really good. Yeah, like Fantastic Four was the first one I read this week, and I was like, oh dang! And then I kept reading <laughs> yeah. it, and I was like, oh no, <laughs> I'm never, I'm not gonna spend time on them. <laughs> but yeah. That's the show, everyone. Thanks, Jess and Brandon, for reviewing all these comics with me. And thanks to our listeners for hanging out this long. This was a bit of a longer episode. We had a lot to say. Mm -hmm. But thanks, everyone, for coming out. And thank you to our Patreons for uh, giving us their support. And thanks, listeners. Like, all of what you do, you share, you talk about it, you drop it, you recommend us. All of those things, uh, they really contribute to us being able to keep bringing more shows. And Not A Robot Podcast is always growing. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I'm excited to announce that we're hoping to grow this team as well very, very soon, so be on the lookout for that. Thank you, everyone. With all that said, as always, there's only one way we say goodbye around here. Until next time. Be good to each other. And don't be a robot. Just slap it up, I'm just gonna slap it up, I'm just gonna slap it up.